Revelation chapter 17. Uh, this morning, with the Lord's help, we will be considering the remaining verses of the 17th chapter, beginning in chapter 7, or I'm sorry, verse 7. And the angel said to me, this is the word of the Lord, please give it your full attention. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes down to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose. And they give their power and authority to the beast. These will rage war, wage war against the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen, the chosen, called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw were where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw. And the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of it and now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider uh, difficult passages, Lord, difficult verses to interpret. Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Uh, here is a mind that has been given wisdom to know these things, and we, Lord, have the mind of Christ. Therefore, help us. Help us to know, to believe, to love, and to obey. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our series through the Apocalypse of John. Last week, we were introduced to the harlot who sits on many waters and who sits upon the beast. In verses 1 through 6, John describes the harlot with many symbolic images. Again, she sits on many waters symbolizing that she seduces many people, multitudes, nations, and tongues with her wine. She lives in the wilderness, which is symbolic of this present world, symbolic of this present world. The seduction of the harlot is in the world. She sits upon the beast, which symbolizes that she is in league with him, or she is empowered by him. She's clothed in purple and scarlet, which is to symbolize that her influences, influence reaches worldly powers, uh, world, world forces, if you will. She wears gold and precious stones and pearls, which is to say that her influence reaches also high societies, uh, societies of great influence. She holds a gold cup full of abominations and unclean things, which is to symbolize idolatry. She is this harlot, or who is this harlot? She is Babylon, which symbolizes uh, anything, anything that attempts to, anything, anyone that attempts to lure the hearts of men away from worshiping the one true God. Who is the harlot? Say it again with me. Anything that attempts to lure the hearts, anyone, anything, the hearts and minds of men away from worship to the one true God. 
the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, they have forsaken their creator in whose image they have been made. And they have given their hearts to created things. Mankind has committed a spiritual adultery against God, which is idolatry. Spiritual adultery, which is idolatry. We have been made in the image of God for the purpose of worshiping God. And rather than giving worship to God, mankind in their fallenness has given worship to created things rather than to, to, to the creator. It is spiritual adultery, which is idolatry. Mankind has played the harlot. And John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, warns the church to turn away from her advances. Turn away from anything that attempts to lure you away from worship to God. What the angel then reveals to John shakes John to his core. After seeing the seduction of the harlot, John says... I, when I saw her, verse 6, I wondered greatly, since we come this morning to some uh, challenging verses, and I'm sure that I, even as we were reading the verses this morning, our, our with the numbers and so forth, our minds may have been uh, spinning. But indeed, these verses require a mind of wisdom that is dependent upon the help of the Holy Spirit. This morning, then, with God's help, we will consider... The mystery of the woman and the victory of the lamb. Uh, first, the mystery revealed. Uh, let me say this first point is going to be it's going to sound very much like a commentary um, because we are dealing with difficult verses here. And I think we need some precision. And that's just going to come from me just being kind of um, almost robotic for a moment. So excuse me. But um, verses seven through 13 is what we will what we'll be considering this morning for this this point. John says, when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. In the second point, we're going to return to John's comments of wonder. We'll get to that first part in the next point. But the angel commands John, and maybe even rebukes John, not to wonder... Because he's going to give further instruction or further explanation concerning what John has just seen. The angel promises that he will pull back the veil uh, even further. It is possible that the angel corrects John's wonder. No, uh, rebukes, corrects. Because what John has seen in Revelation 17 is not new to John per se. It's almost as if the angel saying, why are you wondering? Why, why are you in awe, you've already seen this before. We know that Revelation is a book of recapitulation, of showing the same thing again and again and again, but from different angles. The angel is almost saying to John, I've shown this to you already. You've already seen this, but just from a different angle. Let me explain to you what it is, the angel is saying. Um, he showed this to John Back in Revelation 13, if you're wondering, well, where did he show us? This vision that we're seeing has been shown to John in Revelation 13. The angel begins by explaining the vision of the beast, but does so in a way that he mocks the beast. As soon as the angel begins to explain the vision of the beast, he begins by um, ridiculing the beast. He says in verse 8, he said 7, he goes, I'll explain it to you. Verse 8. The beast that you saw and is not and is about to come up, see those three, out of the abyss and go to destruction. You've heard these three before. Um, saw is and is to come. Where have you heard that from? You have always in Revelation heard that about God. God um, was, he is, and he is to come. The angel uses that same formula to describe the beast, but does it in a, in a manner of ridicule. Why? It's almost a mock of the beast. Because the beast desires the seat that belongs to the Almighty. Uh, Satan wants God's throne. It, it's, Satan is trying to lure men and women away through his harlot to worship someone other than God. Satan wants 
worship for himself. It's why there was a rebellion in the beginning. Satan was seeking to take that which is not his, the throne of God. So the angel, in saying to John, you're wondering what this is. Let me explain to you. It's, it's the one who wants to be God, but will never have that seat. The angel ridicules the beast for his vain efforts to sit on the seat of the Almighty. The beast was and is not. God um, was and he is and he is to come. The angel said uh, the beast was and is not. And is about to come up and, and then go to destruction. God, through Christ, when Christ returns, he, he was and he is. He is the one to come and who will reign forever. The beast was and is not, and when he comes, he will go down to destruction, not up to glory. I hope that you see what the angel is trying to do for John. He's trying to say, essentially, right off the bat, don't be afraid. John is wondering, and the angel is saying, don't. John is in awe, and the angel is saying, stop. We'll get to that more of that in the second point. Uh, the formula that, that the angel gives is a, is, is a continuous rising of the beast only for a continuous falling of the beast. The beast continues to go up and the beast continues to go back down. The, continu the beast continues to try to rise in power and every single time he's brought back down until finally he will rise one final time and go down one last time, this time to destruction. It is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Verse 8, it, it is adapted from Daniel 7 where the end-time beast is three times prophetically pro portrayed as rising on the stage of history, only to be destroyed on the stage of history. Uh, he is rising for all to see, and then he will fall for all to see. Those who dwell on the earth, John says, uh, whose names, this is important, whenever you see those who's dw who dwell on the earth, that, that's always, we remember, that's always um, those who do not belong to God. Those who dwell on the earth, and you might say, I dwell on the earth. Well, here's the kicker. Whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. They will be the ones who will be in awe and in wonder of the beast each time that he rises. Each time that worldly powers rise, those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life give themselves to that beast. That world power. That great influence, that harlot, they give themselves to her. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a, mo in a moment. They will admire her in a and him in a worshipful sense. As we saw in Revelation chapter 3 and, uh, 13 and verse 3, where, where earth dwellers marvel over the beast. Uh, they are marveling over her because the beast, every time... Uh, Every time he, every time he is brought down, he seems to come back up again. Every time a, a world power is brought down, there seems to be another world power that rises up. We saw this with Egypt. We saw this with Persia. We saw this with Babylon. Um, we saw this with uh, Assyria. And we see this with Rome. Every time one of these beasts fall, another beast rises. Which creates... This non-stop worship of those who dwell on the earth to the beast. The evil beasts rise. They will cause those who do not belong to God to give themselves in fearful worship to that beast. The earth dwellers worship the beast in awe because their names are not written in the book of life. Their names have not been established from the foundation of the world. They give themselves over to the beast they are not God's people. They are children of the harlot, and they become harlots themselves. And the angel calls John, uh, then, and all who read this book in faith, to brace themselves, almost. It, it, uh, when we come to verse 9, there's almost as if the angel is saying, Now prepare yourselves for what I'm about to say to you. Because what I'm about to say to you, the angel says, can only be discerned by those who have new minds that are um, empowered to have wisdom. Okay? Here's what it is. And I'm not going to read the verses. They're in verses 9 to 13. I'm going to paraphrase them. Seven heads, seven mountains, where the woman sits. What is this? 
Seven heads symbolize seven mountains. Seven mountains symbolize seven kings. Okay, stay with me. This is going to get the commentary like part, okay? The mountains are symbolic. Seven mountains. They're symbolic of the geography of Rome. Now, the first readers would have immediately connected the dots between seven mountains, seven hills, and, and the seven hills of Rome. They would have immediately said, oh, yes, we're talking about the seven hills of Rome. What about you, though? When you were first reading this, as I just read it a moment ago, did you automatically go, oh, yes, the seven hills of Rome, of course. Anybody in here um, uh, up to date on, on the geography of the world? Uh, could you point out what each country is known for? Uh, you know, New York is the Big Apple, right? You know, California sun is the sunshine. No, that's Florida. Florida is the sunshine state, right? Um, if someone said, what is Rome? Would you go, oh, of course, it's the seven hills. My point is, do you need to know the geography of the world in order to discern what, John, what the angel was saying to John? Does that make sense? The answer is no. What you need to know is scripture. Uh, what you also need to know is that Revelation is a book of symbols. And throughout Revelation, the symbols are consistent, which means this. Mountains are often associated with this power. Uh, great power and great rule. So you don't need to know that, that Rome is known for its seven hills. All you need to know is that mountains refer to great power. Consistently throughout, throughout Revelation. Does that make sense? I hope so. This is also found in Daniel chapter 235 and also Revelation chapter 14. Mountains are thrown down. Mountains are, are flattened. And mountains are meant to represent world powers. Those who have great power. The symbolism of, of mountains representing great powers could also be applied to Matthew 21 and Mark 11. You know that, those verses. Um, whoever has faith can say to this mountain, uh, be ye up and cast into the sea. Uh, for many of us, uh, maybe maybe just me, uh, when I was first saved, I, I went up to some mountains. And, and I said, they're still there. Um, and, and the sea is very far away, right? But Jesus is not talking about um, literal mountains or you having so much faith that you can pick up a mountain with your hand, almost like like Star Wars the Force, and just pick something up and move it. Not, not in the least. Instead, that e evil will be cast away if you believe in God, into the, into the depths of the sea, Christ says. What does sea represent in Revelation? Sea represents, Sheol, the depths of evil. So that when Christ says, if you have faith, you can move these mountains into the sea, or you trust in God, God will, will um, remove evil from your lives and cast them into the depths of the sea, and he will do that finally, won't he? So don't think that you have small faith anymore because you're not able to pick up um, the mountains uh, near Bear Valley over here. So, no, believe in God. Believe in God. And God will do what he promised to do, cast evil into the depths of the sea. And in, in Jeremiah 51, God says of ancient Babylon, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who, who destroys the whole earth. I will make you a burnt out mountain. Both mountains and kings symbolize the world, the worldwide authority. And, and the angel uses seven as a comprehensive number. We know that seven is the number of completeness. So uh, the angel is saying that um, Satan has infiltrated all world powers. There are no holy nations except for one. And you're actually meeting with them right now. The only holy nation in the entire world is the church. Satan has infiltrated all other world powers in a, in a sevenfold, complete fold kind of sense. Uh, the angel is saying that Satan has gone into all of world powers and has uh, influenced all of them for his bidding, for his glory, which is no glory at all. Those who follow him, their names are not written in the book of life. Then the angel says, now listen close, seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other is yet to come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while longer. Now, now it seems to be getting even more specific. As the angel describes these kings, it sounds so specific that we might immediately think that John and the first readers knew exactly what kings were being spoken of, which would mean that they knew exactly who the Antichrist was. 
or, or who was who it was going to be. <clears throat> Various proposals and even dogmatic positions about kings and kingdoms are referenced here. People make um, a lot of um, very bold statements about who these kings are, who was the sixth, who was the seventh, and who will be the last. Uh, if you lived during, well, let, let me get to that in a moment. Seven kings stand for, they say, seven kings stand for seven Roman emperors. I'm going to slow down for a second. The sixth of whom was presumably on the throne when John was given this revelation. This is going to create a lot of issues. For starters, now we're talking about emperors, right, in Rome. Not everyone agrees on when the Apocalypse of John was written. Not everyone agrees on when Revelation was written. Uh, there, there's a dear brother here who has a, another brother from his church who um, s- said to me to my face, I can't listen to any more of your sermons because I don't agree with the date that you say Revelation was written. Even in Reformed Baptist churches. Um, was it written during the days of Nero or was it written during the days of Domitian? I, I'm going to say a lot of things right now, so hold, hold fast. And which emperor does it end with and which emperor does it begin with? Um, Do they begin with Julius Caesar or do they begin with Caesar Augustus, who was the first official emperor? It also depends on whether or not one includes all emperors or whether one omits or includes three rivals who struggled for power during the year that Nero died. Everything that I just told you is new to you and also new to me. These bits of information about kings and emperors require a lot, a lot of research. Research that not everyone agrees on unanimously. For example, if Daniel presented four kingdoms in the vision that he interpreted, what Two kingdoms were before the four kingdoms that symbolized, that were symbolized in the statue. You remember Daniel sees a statue. There are four kingdoms represented there. If that's four, and there's two before, and Rome is the seventh, well, who were the two before the four? Were the two uh, Egypt? Was it Assyria? And what is the one that comes after? Was it Rome, or was it maybe a, a, a nation, a kingdom like Russia? Was it a kingdom like England? Was it the United States? Is it the United States? Is it China? If you were in, uh, if you grew up in, in the 90s like I did, there was a kingdom, and I'm not going to stay long on this, but there was a kingdom that was rising that was what was said to be the resurrection of the king, kingdom of Babylon. You know this uh, nation, it's uh, Iraq. And its king was Saddam Hussein. You were living during the 90s um, in the church. I didn't know this, but I had to go back and hear sermons from the 90s. Many in the church believe that Saddam Hussein was was the Antichrist. He fashioned himself after um, being he likened himself or he fancied himself to be the son of Nebuchadnezzar. There's some problems with taking all these literal positions. Uh, We saw that he actually was not anti- he was an antichrist but not the anti- not the final antichrist right there's a lot to decipher that that not everyone agrees on so what's the solution well as the angel says it requires a mind of wisdom seven symbolizes once again completeness and it shows that the beast reign over the entire world it's it ranges throughout the history of, of humanity we need not try to figure out which kings they are. Instead, we go, all of the kingdoms since the fall of men have been in league with Satan. G.K. Beale, therefore, rather than seven particular kings, us trying to figure out which kings, which kings, or um, which seven kingdoms of the first century or any other century, G.K. Beale says, the seven mountains and kings represent oppressive power of world governments. Listen to this throughout the ages. Throughout the whole of humanity. Isn't that easier? You go, that, well, that makes a lot more sense. Which arrogates or takes to itself divine prerogatives 
all the kingdoms of all the world for all the ages have taken upon themselves a, a position in which they act like they are God. And persecutes God's people when they do not submit themselves to the evil state's false claims. They, they all human, all of, of the kingdoms and all the kings of all of the world have, have taken a seat that only belongs to God. And when men do not bow their knee to, to the beast, the beast persecutes those who give themselves only to one king. The king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, the beast persecutes those who do not bow their knee and give worship to the beast because we give our worship only to one. God alone. That seems to make more sense, doesn't it? It, it seems to, as I'm looking around, all of our heads are going, yeah, that, that seems, and it's not because it's easier. It's because it's true. We don't want to go, what's the easier way? No, what's the true way? That's the true way. Here is the meaning of the, in the most basic terms. If you're going, well, summarize that for me, Pastor. Satan infiltrates all nations in a complete way, in a 710 kind of way. He does so politically by poisoning our understanding of godly justice. He does so religiously by polluting our knowledge of the truth. And he does so through this harlot who attempts to lure the hearts of men away through anything that draws them away from God, the creator, to created things. That, that's the most simplest way. No, that's the most true way. Seven being the number of completeness, Satan completely infiltrates all areas in order to lure people away from worship to the one true God to worship to him. The seven churches were not at the end of conflict. One, one king, the, the, the one king, the final antichrist, had not yet come. And when he does, he will remain for just a little while. Uh, his minions will join him for just a little, it'll be a short time, one hour, before he is finally destroyed, once and for all. Church, we must persevere. Beasts will rise. They are infiltrating all, all nations. We must persevere. Pressure will come and is present. And we must stand under the opposition. We must be prepared to face even greater opposition when we face the final wicked king that will arise. Are there, are there kings in the world who are, yes, he's everywhere. Satan has, has his, um, his, his tentacles have reached all nations. They are everywhere, but they will be one final. And we must be prepared to endure. When the kings of the whole earth gather at Armageddon, to make war against the church on that great day of God the Almighty, we must be prepared to stand. To understand this requires a mind that has wisdom. And this returns us now to the response that John initially has when he's given the vision of the harlot. Let's go to uh, point number two. I hope that point number one was, was um, understandable. Number one, or number two, the mind which has wisdom. Uh, Revelation 17, 6. Then I saw her, or when I saw her, I wondered greatly, and the angel said to me, why do you wonder? A few days ago, uh, my brother, Pastor Isaiah, and I did work for a customer who was also a, a friend of the family. He knows our ministry and prays for us as often as he, rem as he is reminded. Uh, he asked, what are you all preaching through? I said to him, I, I am preaching through Revelation. Isaiah is preaching through Colossians. And he goes, oh, wow, Revelation. And then he said, are the people scared? <laughs> I responded, no, quite the opposite, I think. They're encouraged. I believe this to be true. That as we have together been walking through the apocalypse of John, I was saying to Pastor Isaiah, we've only got five chapters left. I don't know what we're going to do after this. Um, as we're walking through the apocalypse of John and seeing these various visions, I pray that your previous fear before we got into Revelation has been turned into, by the help of the Holy Spirit, faith. Amen. I pray that you are no longer scared, but that you are strengthened. Amen. The angel reveals the harlot who sits on many waters and who sits on the beast. And John's response to seeing that, and I'll talk about more of what he saw, it's this, though. 
It's great wonder. What is this great wonder? John sees and he's wondered greatly. Some scholars believe that the wonder that John saw is that the wonder of John is that he's being taken in by her, that, that he is, in fact, being lured in by her. I don't believe that that's the case. I don't believe that John is being lured in by her, uh, even though the same word wonder is being used in verse eight for those who dwell on the earth are in wonder of the beast. I don't believe it's the same kind of wonder. There's a wonder of worship. John is, is a different kind. John's wonder is a different kind of wonder. John's wonder is two things. It's a wonder of shock and fear. Shock and fear. And the question, again, maybe even rebuke, but I think even command, that comes from the, the angel is, why are you shocked and why are you afraid? Because the command is, don't be, right? Of all that you have seen thus far, the angel says, of all that you have learned thus far, of all that you now know, why and how are you shocked and afraid? Saints, when you observe the world and the sinfulness of man, are you shocked? And are you afraid? I don't need to delve into the various ways that sinful behavior, sinful behavior is paraded before our eyes, but when you see it, does it shock you? Um, by shock, I mean surprise. Uh, by shock, I mean surprise. N- not that you're not appalled by sin. Of course we are. But are you surprised at the sinfulness of sin? You know that fallen man has a polluted mind. That he does not reason as he ought. You know that fallen man has a corrupted heart. That he does not love as he ought. Uh, you know that fallen man has an enslaved will to sin, that he, should not, that he does not um, will to act as he should. So then, does it shock or surprise you when fallen man, polluted man, corrupted man, acts according to his sinfulness? You go, I can't believe that you're doing that, sinner. I can't, I can't believe a man whose name is not written in the book of life would act in such a way. Man was blessed with the beauty of the garden, wasn't he? A, a wife from his own body. A command that if Adam cooperated with the grace given to him, would have resulted in eternal bliss of the beatific vision wherein Adam would have been satisfied in God forever. But man willfully, uh, out of his own free will, committed spiritual adultery. Exalting fruit, a created thing that he believed would accelerate his path to eternal joy. Adam put a false god before the one true god. And the fruit was not necessarily the false god. What he believed the fruit would produce for him was the false god. Therefore, he himself is the false god. Adam believed the blasphemous lies of Satan. And in doing so, did not reverence the name of God, but trampled on the truthfulness of God's word. God says, do this and live, do this and die. And and Adam did not believe God. I could walk through each command of the moral law that that Adam violated on that day when he gave worship to himself rather than worship to God. But ultimately, I I think we're going to target on this question. Do you think that man has gotten better since the fall? Are you expecting more out of fallen man than maybe you should? A a, a brother of mine said that to me the other day. Don't expect these things from you. You, 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 you kind of do sometimes, right? You kind of expect people to act in a certain way, but they don't always act the way you think they should. And don't be surprised when they don't. Be appalled. Yes, you're, you're a new creature in Christ, but shocked, surprised? No. Does the sin of the world around you, which is the wilderness, does it surprise you to the point, I'm going to be redundant, to the point where you go, I can't not believe what I am seeking. I can't believe what's going on in this world. Uh, Saints, if that's the case, take heed for the angel says to John and also says to you and I, don't be. You're shocked? Don't be. You're surprised? Why? Because of the fall of man, man is eager to replace worship to the one true God with worship to created things. Man is eager to do that. Man is like, show me a God. I'll follow him. Show Show me someone other than the Almighty. I'll follow them. Give me a route that that is other than the cross, and I'll go that way. 
man is eager to follow after the lust of his polluted heart. He's eager to do that. Because of man's fall, he is more than willing to fill the space of his heart that has been created by God, for God, with anything, in all caps, anything other than God. He's eager to do this. And it should not surprise us when they do. We see our loved ones following not after God, but after other things. It shouldn't surprise us. They're not saved. It's what the unsaved man, woman, boy, girl does. It, it, it saddens us, yes, but not surprise us, no. We should be appalled. We should be disgusted by the sinfulness of sin. We should be prayerful. We should be hopeful that God will continue to save until he returns. But shocked? Surprised? The angel says, why do you wonder? Verse 7. Why are you surprised? Don't be. John sees the manner in which the harlot seduces, and listen closely, seduces the world. People from all over the world are seduced by her. The angel interprets her sitting on waters as her sitting or having so much influence over peoples. Listen to this. Multitudes, nations, tongues. And John has this mixed reaction of shock and awe, shock and fear. The word awe, again, is fear. When John was given this vision, fear overtakes him. He wonders greatly. People all over the world are mesmerized. But but let's go further. John is surprised, but also fearful. I think it's because of something that John sees, though. It's not just seduction. Here's what I think really does shock and awe John. Ready? Verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. And with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Listen to this. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. It may be a cumulative thing. It may be all of the seduction of the harlot. But but I think it's really this point that causes John to, to really wonder greatly. When he sees the woman in all of her seduction... Drunk with our blood. What I think draws out of John's shock and awe is the persecution unto death of the righteous. The persecution unto death of the righteous. The harlot is is not sipping the blood of the saints. She's drunk on the blood of the saints. She's not with the pinky up taking little sips. She is drunk. um, Bottles up. Drunk on the blood of the saints. She's utilized, exploited by the beast, the dragon, to oppose and persecute unto death the saints and witnesses of Christ, which I believe in that moment causes a moment of fear in John. John would most likely die a, 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 an, as an old man quietly. But the same would not be said for the seven churches of Asia Minor. And also that the same could not be said of the church thereafter. Not everyone has the privilege. Every Christian has the privilege of dying quietly in in their sleep. It's, It's the ideal way to go, isn't it? But for those who have faith in Christ, not just here in America, but for our brothers and sisters of the nation, the holy nation, the the royal priesthood of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not every single one of us have such a wonderful privilege as to die peacefully in our sleep. We have been we have been burned at the stake. We have been crucified upside down. We have been put to the sword. We have been placed in boiling water and boiling oil. We have been killed Soon the church at this time would endure unto death some of the most violent, listen to this word, state-sanctioned persecution. The state says, go get them. Persecution in the history of the church. Rome would be drunk off of the blood of the saints, empowered by Satan with the goal of bringing down the kingdom of God through the church. John, understandably, in one sense, was fearful. You can understand John sees, as it were, saints dying. You can understand in one sense why he is fearful. Maybe not for his own life, but for the well-being of his brothers and sisters. Maybe he said, I'm not afraid for me, I'm afraid for them. 
Will they be able to stand? Will they be able to endure? Uh, John might be saying, I'm old. I won't be here much longer to, to help. Uh, God, what will become of her? These may all be questions that run through your mind. Do you fear your future? Are you sitting next to a husband or wife or children and you go, what's going to happen to them though? What kind of world will I leave them if the Lord does not return in? I don't see it getting any better. I'm looking around and I'm seeing man is actually not getting better. Man is getting worse in a place where I thought things would not get worse. I thought America was God's country and I'm finding out it's actually not. What kind of America will they live in? Will I be here still to help them? Are you concerned about the health and ability to stand of the church? And that being some of the ones who you love most sitting right next to you. I say on the authority of God's word and I echo what the angel says to John when he had the similar reaction of shock and fear. Why do you wonder? Why do you wonder? This is don't. You know why the angel goes and says, I'm going to show you why you shouldn't wonder. I'm going to reveal to you why you should not fear. But here's what the angel doesn't do. The angel goes, because it's going to get easier, John. He doesn't go, it's going to get better. Instead, he says, it's going to get actually worse. He goes, the angel says, the beast is, was, and is coming again. He's coming. He was, he continued, he continues to rise, and he's coming back. Well, thanks for the encouragement, angel. You're telling me not to, not to be in shock and awe, and all of a sudden you're saying, the angel's gonna, the devil's, the Satan's gonna rise again. He always does. That's not all that he says, by the way. Those whose names are not written in the book of life, they will join the harlot and, and the beast to oppose the church. They will even, verse 14, they will even wage war. For a time, things will, for a time, things will not get easier. In fact, things will become increasingly perilous and difficult. But we need not fear and we need not be surprised. Because the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Here's why you should not be surprised, and here is why you should not fear. Ready? Because God has not left you in the dark. Amen. God has not left you in the dark to figure out these things on your own. The angel says, don't be surprised and don't be afraid. I will reveal to you what God has revealed to me so that you will not feel like you're walking in the dark. God has not put blinders on the minds and eyes of us so that we can walk through this wilderness alone. Instead... God promises that in the midst of this wilderness, he will be our pillar of fire. That he will be guiding us even through the darkest spaces of this wilderness. That when it seems most dark, when it seems most difficult, God has not left you alone and he will not leave you alone. The angel says, I will show you. The angel does not say after John's shock and awe, the angel does not go, good luck. Vaya con Dios, right? I will show you. You are not walking in darkness. Here's why. The angel tells you how. You, you might go, oh, how? How do it? Verse 9, because here is the mind that has wisdom. I don't believe the angel is saying, only the person who has a really sharp mind will be able to crack the code of the mystery of the seven kings. Not in the least. If that's the case, only Isaiah and James, those are going to know everything. Rather, the angel is telling John not to be surprised, not to fear, because we have been given his Holy Spirit who has endowed us with knowledge of God. You don't just have a new mind, saints. You have a mind that is now able to retain knowledge from God, which is wisdom. 
You're hearing what you're hearing. You're retaining it. You're agreeing with it. This is the work of the Spirit and the mind, the new mind that's been given to you that's no longer full of pollution, but that is being renewed daily and also is able to retain now wisdom and properly understand it. All of us on the same level? No. All of us to different degrees? Yes. Any of us still have the old mind? Not in the least. It's being put to death daily. You are able to not fear, not be surprised because you have a new mind. And that new mind now has wisdom to discern truth from error. So when you see what's going on around the world, you can have wisdom and you can wisely uh, react to it. Instead of going, the, the sky is falling. No. This is a blessing. You know why? Because previously we rejected wisdom. Previously, I don't want to hear it. I don't got time for it. We distorted wisdom. Our wisdom was a worldly wisdom, which is folly. But now, as Pastor Isaiah said, Isaiah said, but now, but now we have the mind of Christ, the scriptures say. Go, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I hope this is the right verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read um, 10 verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, thanks be to God, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. I'm going to read to verse 16. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, uh, among those who mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For it, for it had, for they had, if they had understood it, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not been entered the heart of man, uh, the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who, have, who love him. Listen to this, verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. That's wisdom. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among us knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the, wor- of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may what know things freely given to us by God, which things... We also speak, which is wisdom, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him and cannot understand them. But they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Through faith, we have been given a mind that can discern spiritual things. God has revealed his word to us, and we can now discern the wisdom of God because he has given us new minds that are able to discern God's wisdom. Amen. Who has known the mind of God? Only those who have, who have, who have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. They were foolishness to us at one point. Uh, uh, there was a point when we would read the Revelation and go, I'm not reading it. I don't get it. And now you're sitting here and going, I'm encouraged by it. I love it. Give me more. Don't stop for another 10 years. I say, okay. (laughs) These things are spiritually appraised. We are no longer among the foolish, are we? We no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, do we? Uh, We no longer have minds that are hostile toward God, do we? By the grace of God, our minds are now able to be instructed and to know, to believe and to hold fast to the truths of God that are believed by those who have been reborn, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And our minds are are progressively being renewed. We have new minds, and they're progressively being renewed. We're no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're being made like Christ. We, we, are, we are wise, and we are being made wise. Much could be said about wisdom. But here, the wisdom that we have that the angel speaks of is the wisdom that is able to discern, to know. By the grace of God, that which has been revealed to us by God, we are able to know. Surprised. Afraid. Not for those who have a new mind and for those who are able to apply wisdom to that mind. Therefore, we, like John, must not be afraid when we hear of the world putting the squeeze on biblical principles. 
Don't be surprised. We, we must not fear when they drum up laws that oppose us and our witness to Christ. Don't be surprised and don't be afraid. And don't be afraid when we're put in jail for holding fast to eternal truths. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised. We must not be surprised when brother betrays brother, sister betrays brother, sister, when parents uh, betray their children. Don't be surprised. Don't be fearful. Here is the mind that has wisdom, the angel says. What's the first thing? This is interesting. What's the first thing that the angel reveals to John when he first shows her the harlot? Look at verse 1. Come here, and I will show you what? The judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Verse 1, uh, 17, 1. Come here, I will show you the judgment. Not the victory, not the success. The judgment of the harlot who sits on many waters. Here is the mind that has wisdom. Before John learns anything of the woman being drunk with the blood of the saints, the angel tells John, but she will be judged. She will go down to judgment. Here is the mind that has wisdom because John knows this. You know this. And we will be able to see through Satan's deceptions. It seems like Satan is winning. Things are not always as they seem. It seems like his power is everywhere. Things are not always as they seem. They will go down to judgment. Don't be surprised and don't be afraid. By God's spirit and through wisdom, you will be able to see through the harlot's advances and see them for what they really are. doesn't mean that at times we won't. I said this last week to some of the brothers. It doesn't mean that at times we won't be deceived. Let us not for one moment be deceived into thinking that we are immune, impervious, insusceptible to being deceived. We're not impeccable like Christ. We're peccable, meaning we are capable of sin. We are capable, it happens from time to time, of not believing something that is true, even though our desire is for truth. We are new creatures. We are new creations, but we have not yet been glorified. Therefore, there is remaining within us the ability to be lured away. Not finally, not ultimately, but for a time. If someone goes, I don't believe that, well, talk to Peter then. Go ask Peter what happened when he was lured away, when he denied Christ. Uh, go ask Peter when he was with the saints in Galatia and he did not act in accordance with the unity that, that, that the gospel produces. And he was confronted by Paul to his face. Not finally. Peter wasn't deceived finally. We know this. But there were times in the life of Peter and there are also times in the life of the saints where we do not act in accordance to what we know to be true. Go ask David. David, who was not finally, but for a time, lured away by, by Bathsheba. Seven churches in Asia Minor were being, um, the advances of the harlot were, were, were being impressed upon the seven churches of Asia Minor. John, through the Spirit, is saying, don't follow her. We need each other to do that, don't we? We need each other to, to say, I know that you're feeling a certain way right now. Don't follow that feeling. Here's what's true. Follow that. Here's what I know you're feeling a certain way. I know that there seems to be an allurement. Don't follow that feeling. Follow what you know to be true. And if anyone goes, I, I can't, I, I won't fall. Remember what Peter said to Jesus. I'm ready to die with you. The Lord responded, Peter. Peter. Satan's desire is asked for you. To, to shift you. To sift you as wheat. To shake you. You, you will be shaken. And, and Jesus said, and when you return. Which means, and you're going to fall for a minute. But you'll be back. If anyone thinks he is standing, watch out lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If anyone thinks they are insusceptible to falling, beware. Have the mind of wisdom. And a mind of wisdom walks humbly dependent upon the triune God who works in us both the will and do. Do never for one moment think that you are strong on your own. It's because of God who works in you both the will and do that you're able to stand. Amen. 
we need therefore to walk humbly before him. God, I need you. God, I need you in this conversation. God, I need you as I preach. God, I need you as I sit with my with my brothers and sisters. God, I need you when I go to work. God, I need you when I drive. God, I need you every single second of every single day. I need you when I'm loving my wife. I need you when I'm loving my kids. I need you every single moment of every single day. Let me not for one moment depend upon myself lest I fall. The mind that has wisdom not only is not afraid, not only is not surprised, but also knows where his victory is found. Amen. In closing, number three, victory in the Lamb. Victory in the Lamb. This is verses 14 through 18. They gather the kings of the world to make war against the church in Christ. Let me make this very simple. And they fall. And they fall. When the angel said to John, uh, here is the beast who is... Uh, who was, not, who was, who is not, and who is about to come. He does not say and rise and rule. Instead, he says and be destroyed. Why? Because Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, the glory of God. Amen. Let me say it again. If you are standing with Christ, you are standing on the right side. Because Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not always the easiest side. It's not always the easiest side to stand on. But we are reminded again and again in the scriptures that God has promised that standing with Christ will never be the easiest, but it will always be the side that is victorious. Amen. Not the easiest, but always the side that's victorious. Yes. Every victory yes. will come with some pain. Yes. Every victory will come with some suffering, yes. as is the victory of our Christ who came, who, who, who was victorious through suffering. Christ has defeated sin at the cross and death at the resurrection so that the power of death has been swallowed up and Satan's time is limited and he will ultimately be cast into the lake of fire. Saints, Christ is victorious. Uh, young people, Christ is victorious. If you're looking for where can I find joy, where can I find victory, you can find it only and fully in Christ and in Christ alone because Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, the old people used to say it a lot. A lot. We should say that a lot more. He is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. There is no moment in the life of Christ and in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ where Christ loses anything. Christ is victorious. Live victoriously. Die victoriously. Rose victoriously. Christ loses at no point but is always victorious. Satan will wage war one final time against Christ and he will, for the last time, be defeated by the one who was king of kings and lord of lords. What is more, the victory of Christ is also your victory. If you place your faith in Christ, his victory is your victory. Here, John sees that those who stand with Christ are called the chosen and the faithful, the called, chosen, and faithful, called, chosen, and faithful. And if you are called, uh, chosen, and faithful, you stand with the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. Our Lord said, many are called, but few are chosen. Here our Lord stands with those who are not only called, but also chosen. And because they're called, because they're chosen, they are also the faithful. It's what believers are summed up to be. We are those simply... What are you? I'm just one who's been called, been chosen. And by the grace of God, I strive to be faithful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faithful. In opposition to the harlot who is not faithful, we walk faithfully before God. We are the pure bride. She is the harlot. It's faithful to no one. We are faithful to our bridegroom, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we are called to endure suffering. Even in the midst of war, we are called to be faithful even unto death. Satan will attempt to lure us away. But unlike the harlot, we are not unfaithful. We are faithful to the one who is faithful and true. We will see him riding on a horse soon. And on his thigh is written, faithful and true. Hold fast, then, saints. Hold fast in the midst of hardship. Hold fast day to day in, in, the, in the seemingly regular happenings of every single day. Don't lose sight of this. You have wisdom. You have a new mind. Remain faithful unto death. 
Be faithful to the one who is faithful and true, for he is king of kings and lord of lords. And it's not always the easiest to stand with him, but it always is the sign that is victorious. Stand with our Christ. Amen. Amen. We will be tested. But if you're standing with him, you're already victorious. Amen. God has allowed all these things to take place. You may wonder why. Verse 17 says God has allowed all this to happen. All of these things that we take that happen, they're for his purposes. John may have wondered, God, I'm afraid, I'm shocked. And the angel says, God has allowed all these things. All of these things are happening to fulfill his purposes. God has done this. You're surprised. I'm surprised. I'm at times fearful. You're at times fearful. God's not. He's never surprised. He's never afraid. He sees the sin of man. He's not shocked. If you're standing with Christ, you have been given the grace to not be afraid, but to stand firm. And having done all, stand. Let us pray.